Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. I had to look over because I uh, was muted and I had this moment of terror of have I unmuted. And it will be like every Zoom call you've ever been on in the last three years where the person is talking and someone has to be like, Carl, you're muted. And then they have to repeat their crappy old uh, business presentation again. But nevertheless, I was unmuted. So all of this was a waste of time. I just felt like I needed to explain why I just abruptly uh, lurched to my right. I think when you're watching, it's is it my right, my left? I don't know. In in real life, it's on my right. So all of that out of the way. It is good to talk to you here on the Andrew Lawton Show, despite that very odd uh, intro. I am. This is not a rerun. I'm wearing a sweater in June because for whatever reason, in my little basement uh, hidey hole here, from where I broadcast my show, it is absolutely freezing. And even though I've like turned the air conditioner off and I've like covered up the vent, there's like a, a register above me that seems to just perennially shoot down a cold air even when I, I don't want it to. So I'm a little chilly, that's why. Uh, but rest assured outside, it's I think it's actually still chilly outside. But uh, certainly if you're from Alberta, this is no surprise to you. You've done the whole wearing sweaters virtually year round thing. Uh, today, we are going to talk about parents' rights. And I want to delve into this in a, a few different contexts here. First off, the a story in New Brunswick where, uh, good on the New Brunswick government, they've actually taken a stand that no other provincial government in this country has done for parental rights, and they are attracting a great deal of scorn from Justin Trudeau and from the media for doing so. We'll talk about that with Tanya Granick-Allen in just a few moments' time. But I want to begin by talking about something that I didn't anticipate revisiting, because to be honest, I find this to be a very absurd story, but it's an absurd story that has started to become a little bit more reflective of one of the more unfortunate political developments of our time. And to go back in time a week on this, the trigger was what I thought was, frankly, a petty and dumb tweet from the conservative candidate in Portage Lisker, Brandon Leslie, who we had on the show. We showed the graphic on a previous episode on Thursday. He basically was just sticking a little uh, thumb into Maxime Bernier. That's a very weird visual. He was poking Maxime Bernier. That's a, a little bit less weird. And saying, you know, unlike Maxime Bernier, I'm never going to go to the World Economic Forum. And then Maxime Bernier responded and said that he is a liar, Brandon Leslie. He's never attended the WEF. And for me, despite finding this to be a pretty inconsequential and stupid fight, I weighed in not because I thought that either one of them was beholden to the World Economic Forum, but because I, I took umbrage with Maxime Bernier's of attempt at revisionism here and saying he had never attended when clearly he had. And I, I went through the entire argument on my show. I said, here's uh, proof he was there. And ultimately, this came down to Maxime Bernier having a very different understanding of what the word attended means than I do. Now, my claim to Maxime and about that whole thing was never that he was a WEF shill or he was a closet globalist. I, I take Maxime Bernier at his word as I take Pierre Polyev at his word that both of them are very critical, and I'm glad they are, of the WEF and its agenda. What I didn't like is Bernier claiming that he had never gone when clearly he had. And, and notwithstanding, his answer to that was that it was because he was meeting with Canada's allies and other foreign ministers for the whole Afghanistan war, which again is a, an entirely legitimate reason to be there if that's your goal, but you're still there. 
And that was the issue. Now, I, the reason I bring this up again, and, and I am completely convinced that this is a distraction from real issues, but it's become a very consuming distraction, is because Maxime Bernier has decided to take aim at me and at True North's coverage. He tweeted out uh, just yesterday evening that True North and I are like CBC for daring to have this conversation about his record. And again, he was there as a conservative. He was there at Stephen Harper's behest. No one is disputing that. He was still there. And all of his issues and objections to the World Economic Forum didn't come about until much later on, just as the Conservative Party of Canada was all too willing to be a player in the WEF until it no longer became politically advantageous to do so. And the argument I've put forward about this is that the WEF of 2023 is not the same as the WEF of 2008. I think it's entirely legitimate for someone to say, listen, we thought it was one thing, we thought we were doing this, we weren't, or the organization has changed. Whatever the case is, that's not the discussion that we've had, and that's not been the argument from the PPC. But in the last several days, this segment that I did on my show that I thought was done after Maxime Bernier and I spoke about it, and I said to the audience, listen, you've heard my side, you've heard his side, make up your own mind. This has continued for almost, I mean, basically for four days since then. My tweets have been nonstop in my mentions. My Twitter mentions have been nonstop about this issue, and it's gotten very nasty. It's gotten very personal, and I don't really care about that. If people are that insecure about their own party and their own leader, which is what this comes from, that they believe they are incapable of answering a tough question, that says a lot more about your chosen party and your chosen leader than it does about anyone else. The accusations that I have gotten along this vein are that True North has sold out, that I've uh, secretly been on the take and I've been getting money from Pierre Polyev or Klaus Schwab or a combination of the two. I don't even know what the conspiracy theory is suggesting right now. But it's an odd thing. And, and I've always made a joke on this show that I often get criticized by conservative loyalists and PPC loyalists for being too sympathetic to the other. And sometimes it'll be over the same interview and the same discussion. Indeed, after I spoke to Maxime Bernier on Thursday, I had conservative loyalists saying, oh, you know, you're a PPC sellout because you're giving him more airtime. And then I had the PPC loyalists that didn't like my line of questioning and wanted to string me up as being some, again, conservative shill. It's very difficult to keep track of this. I have always been very clear on where I stand, which is not having a particular party. I have voted PPC and I have voted conservative. And I share that with you just so you understand that I'm not one of these people that believes that truth lies exclusively with one party. I ran as a progressive conservative candidate in 2018, and I have been probably more critical of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party than most other progressive conservatives in Ontario because I thought it was vehemently wrong. I vehemently disagreed and thought it was incredibly wrong how Doug Ford took his majority government in 2018 and chose to use it and has continued to. So anyone who thinks it's a gotcha to point out that I was a candidate when it's not been a secret, I have like 10,000 signs with my name on it. Like you're not really uh, unearthing anything there. So all of this is to say that I have absolutely no regrets 
about the discussions and coverage that we did on this last week. I have no regrets at all about giving the PPC attention when no one in Canadian media was. And I said last election, I went on the road with Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. I went on the road with Maxime Bernier and the PPC. Both were figures who had a story to tell and had issues to talk about and contributed to the Canadian political discourse. And ultimately, the reason I'm talking about this now is to say that I do not care about your fragility if you are so insecure that you think Maxime Bernier looked bad on my show that you're done with True North. I do not care because you are someone that doesn't actually want to be challenged. You are someone that doesn't want to have a real discussion or a real dialogue or a real debate. You are so insecure that if if I'm agreeing with you, you think I'm good, but if I disagree with you, you think I'm bad, rather than saying, oh, I didn't like his position on that and here's why, or oh, I did like his position on that and here's why. And this is part of an increasingly uh, an increasing frustration I have with the direction of politics right now. It used to be that you may like or dislike a broadcaster or a columnist, and sometimes they'd be on point and other times they're not. But the amount of times right now that people will share a piece, not because they agree with the methodology of it, but only because they agree with the outcome. And then they will turn on the author of that piece the, time, the next time they write something that perhaps the reader disagrees with. And the battle between the Conservatives and the PPC is a vicious, nasty one. Both sides think the other are dangerous to democracy. They both think they're sellouts. They both think each other are grifters. And I've been absolutely fine to cover both and declare neutrality between the two, and I'll continue to. But when Maxime Bernier, who has never, never had anything unkind to say to me to my face, nor have I ever said anything unkind to him in his face. And after that interview on Thursday, we had a lovely chat off air talking about it. And he said, oh yeah, you're doing great work and thanks for letting me come on. And then he turns around and says, we're like CBC for having it. CBC for having that interview, like CBC for having that discussion and asking him these questions when his own public statements are in contradiction with the record, which was very easy for me and for anyone else to find. I have to say, give me a break. Give me a break. And I, I don't actually think my integrity is imperiled there because people can see for themselves that he is trying to rewrite history when he claims that he was never at this conference despite being an invited guest of the World Economic Forum at that conference. And again, I do not have an issue with him being there in 2008. I have an issue with him going there and claiming he wasn't. That was what this whole thing was. And had he not made that claim, this would not be an issue. But you can tell how insecure his own supporters are about their standing. And if you look at poll numbers, not particularly surprising, given that the PPC is unlikely to achieve the electoral results it had in 2021. But they are so uneasy about their own position in the Canadian political landscape that even the most inconsequential of critiques and criticisms to them is like going nuclear. It is scorched earth to them. Unbelievable. Well, I, I want to say this is going to be the last time I'm going to have to talk about this, but I know that by talking about it now, the Twitter mentions are going to flare up again, and we'll probably have to do this in a couple of days, except to say that all of these people that say, oh, I'm unfollowing True North because they're controlled opposition, I say, okay, 
See you later. Anyway, let's talk about the things that really matter. And again, I, I realize that we have to be able to walk and chew gum. We have to be able to talk about multiple issues. Sometimes they're big, huge, world-pressing issues. Other times they are little deviations and distractions that perhaps form part of a larger story. But uh, the reason I want to get to this bigger one is because right now parents across this country do not care who went to the WEF in 2008. They care about what their children are being told in schools and what their children are being taught in schools and what their children are doing in schools, which has become part of the landscape of discussion in New Brunswick, which I must admit is a bit odd because New Brunswick has never been the province that I thought would be claiming a spot on the front line of the culture war, but it is a province that has taken a stand for parents' rights, originally by making it so that if you are under 16 and you are in school and you want to start using a different gender and different pronouns and different names, the school would have to go to your parents and get consent. Now, New Brunswick has made some amendments to this, and I, I want to get into the details because I think the nuance is a little bit important here, but what they've effectively changed is that if a child does not want their parent notified, instead it gets referred to a social worker, which I actually think is incredibly important. Anyone who's ever had children in school will know that you need parental consent for anything. You need parental consent for absolutely anything. You want to go and take a five-minute bus ride to some field trip, you need parental consent. The idea of changing your gender does not strike me as less consequential than a field trip. But this has also attracted a great deal of ire from the liberals and from the media. And in Justin Trudeau's case, it is all an example of far-right hate. Take a look. That wasn't Justin Trudeau in blackface. That was actually a black screen. Apparently that clip uh, did not play for some reason. We will uh, get to that in a moment. But it's basically Justin Trudeau saying that all of this, what's happening in New Brunswick, is an example of the far right harming trans youth. He says it's about the rise in hate. You talk to parents of all religious groups, of non-religious groups as well, and they are finding this is not about hate. This is about wanting to know what's happening to their children who are under increasing threat from all sorts of sources of information. And it is interesting to see the way that the minority position is dominating in government and media here, but it is a minority position. We talked to Colin Craig in May of Second Street about a poll showing that it is actually the majority of parents that think this is entirely common sense what New Brunswick is doing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And Tanya Granick Allen joins me on the line now. She is uh, formerly the head of Parents as First Educators and also hosts a great show over at uh, the News Forum called Counterpoint, on which I have been uh, very privileged to be a guest. Uh, Tanya, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Great to chat with you about this very important topic, Andrew. I, I know that you waged a very I don't want to I don't want to say successful. I think it was successful in some ways battle against the Ontario sex ed curriculum uh, going back some years. And, and we saw, I, I think, a little bit of a precursor to what's happening now in that and that there was this coalition 
that existed that wasn't just about, you know, right-wing evangelical white supremacist hate mongers, as Justin Trudeau would say, but was of families of very diverse ethnic and religious background. And, and we're seeing huge amounts of that right now. Yeah, well, what happened when in 2016 or 2015, when the new sex ed curriculum was introduced in Ontario was, as you said, was a coalition of uh, LGBT, atheist, uh, a lot of Muslims came out and rallied on Queen's Park. It was a, a broad spectrum of parents who just said, you know what, we want control. We don't want to be handing our kids to the government with, with carte blanche. And as for the sex of the success of the repeal, well, it would have been successful had Doug Ford not flip-flopped and actually kept his promise and actually repealed the gender theory that he said he would. So, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost and kudos to New Brunswick for doing something about it. Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, we had Jason Kenney in Alberta, uh, ostensibly a, you know, firm, solid conservative premier when he was elected, Doug Ford in Ontario. Uh, we now have Danielle Smith in Alberta. I mean, New Brunswick, yes, has a conservative government, but they've never really kind of blipped on my radar as being like the the red meat fire breathing type of conservative. So do you know how this happened there? Do you know why this was the province to really go into this battle? Well, tiny little personal note, I was born in New Brunswick, so they produced this conservative meat. Okay, well, that's why. All right. <laughs> so good for New Brunswick. I'm from St. John's originally. Um, so it's from what I understand is there were some complaints amongst parents that they were concerned about a policy 713 that was introduced a few years ago. Sorry, I forgot the exact date, but a few years ago, um, which allowed the establishment and kind of integrated uh, protections or um, alleviated a lot of concerns about LGBTQSIA plus plus communities. You and got it on the first try, by the way. That's did I? Okay. <laughs> I keep trying to add the, the new letters, um, but it's hard to keep up. Anyhow, so there were a lot of changes made. For example, the introduction of gay straight alliances was made with policy 713. That still exists. A child in New Brunswick can join a gay straight alliance without parental consent. That still exists. That was not changed. Um, many things, just, you know, how to deal with inclusion and, you know, gender neutral bathrooms, all sorts of things like this. So now with under the, the conservative Blaine Higgs government, they decided to review it allegedly upon concerns from parents that they had been hearing. And let's face it, parents are really upset. We're hearing more and more parents are concerned. I wouldn't be surprised if they received dozens and dozens of complaints, if not hundreds. I, I'd, I'd argue probably thousands of parents who have concerns. And so they made three material changes. To me, this doesn't go far enough, but hey, a step in the right direction. And the one that seems to be catching most of the attention is now teacher, like a student under 16. So if you're 17 or 18, you can do what you like. But if you're under 16, you cannot change your personal pronouns or identify your personal pronouns without your parents consenting. And if your parents haven't consented, then the child can be then taken to have some discussion with, I think, a social worker or something mm -hmm. and see what path they can pr proceed to then get that kind of consent from their parents. But this, again, is parents are in charge, not the government. And of course, parents should consent for anything that happens in the school. That is their job. Their children are their their responsibility, not not the schools. They they have a responsibility, but that's granted from the parents. Yeah, and I think you're you're right there. And when you point out like kind of what is still the policy in New Brunswick, what is still the law and what this is, it makes the outrage over it all the more absurd that we're talking about something very minor here. And and also, let's be honest here. No one is saying the school will not acknowledge the preferred gender and preferred name and preferred pronouns of a student. Uh, quite the contrary. They're just saying the parent needs to be involved. So it still is a recognition of this underlying thing that people may have issues with.
And I think all parents, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, should appreciate that here you have a government that's saying, we're going to respect parental rights full stop. And, uh, and again, I wish they would apply that to also all these extracurricular activities that perhaps are questionable. Mm -hmm. But in this case, that that's a good thing. And any Canadian should encourage that kind of action to protect parental rights, because we've seen throughout the last decade, an erosion of parental rights. Two other points I want to highlight that have been our, our changes within this policy is now um, for the gender neutral bathrooms, they're saying they're now going to have to be private gender neutral bathrooms. So kind of like unistallers. And the other thing is they're going to remove uh, that a child can join the sports for with the gender identity that they identify with. So to me, that says, okay, we're going to protect girls sports. And in my opinion, halt female erasure because I'm a mother of daughters and I can tell you they play sports and I have grave concerns with the erasure, the, the erasing of girls sports that's going on right now when biological males are allowed to compete against against girls. It's terrible. They should have those sports protected for them. Yeah. And let's talk about that for a moment, because often when we discuss this, we're talking about athletes that are more senior. I mean, we talk about this in the context of the Olympics. And I think there's a fundamental issue here that is one of fairness when you're talking about this. When you're talking about high school students, uh, there are other implications here that go beyond just the fundamental philosophical approach on it, such as scholarship, such as awards, such as acceptance into university athletic programs, which look at your ranking. And uh, that is, I think, so important here that you could have some really, really dedicated athletic 16-year-old girl yes. that working her butt off to perform well at track and field or swimming or whatever and then some 17 year old boy one day decides that he wants to be the number one uh, female swimmer that year and all of a sudden we have a girl who and I, I don't want to sound dramatic here but a girl whose you know life options are going to be limited if she were otherwise going to be at that standing sure well when you have girls who worked for a decade maybe trained almost daily in their sport uh and now, and, and I have, again, I have competitive daughters. I have nieces who compete. What are you saying to them when you say you're never going to be good enough because you don't have that biological advantage that that mm -hmm. biological male has, who's now you're going to compete at that glass ceiling. You will never shatter. What are you doing to those girls self-confidence and all the women should really be, and all the moms should be standing up to protect their girls in their sports and those sports should be protected. But, um, you know, I guess to Justin Trudeau, I'm probably just a far right actor because I'm just a parent who's really trying yeah. to protect my rights and, and, and look out for my kids. I, I mean, you, you've obviously been and, and those who you met during your time running PAFE and, and in politics are, are parents that are a lot more engaged on this issue than others. And I'm curious if you have a sense of how many parents are just sort of dropping their kids off at school and saying, I, I assume everything's going to be fine versus how many are paying attention. Now, I think that the number of people paying attention is probably increasing, but I also think in general in politics, people generally are far too trusting and too deferential, and I just don't know what you're seeing there. Well, I think uh, that there have been certain uh, key moments in, in Canadian politics which have really forced parents to wake up. Uh, in Ontario, for example, yes, the introduction of that radical sex ed curriculum by Kathleen Wynne forced parents to wake up. And then when I ran for leader and really drummed uh, that issue, parents woke up COVID a lot of parents woke up in COVID they were forced to kind of observe their online schooling with their children and kind of said well what are they hmm. actually learning and do I like that so no matter what you thought about COVID lockdowns there were several some silver linings and and for one of them I thought you know parents are now getting to see what happens in the classroom and I know teachers struggled and kudos to them 
but the governments are forcing them to deliver a curriculum that a lot of teachers actually really don't feel comfortable delivering. They don't want to talk about the seven gender identities. Uh, a lot of parent, a lot of teachers don't want to talk about, they don't want to be compelled to teach that. Uh, so I think that was another demarcation point. And of course, you know, just, you know, I, I know Canadians always want to be very separate from America, and I appreciate that, and we definitely are. However, what happens down south does reflect here. Mm -hmm. And I think what uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has done in Florida with a lot of his uh, legislative actions, I think, has caused a lot of uh, noise in the media in the U.S., and that's spilled over to Canadian media. So now we're saying, hey, um, why is this happening? And now you're seeing a lot of more action at the school board meetings after we've seen action for the last few years in Virginia, in Florida, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, and I would also say that if that's what it takes for Canadians to start paying attention, then I'll absolutely take it. Because even if the issues are different, if seeing what's in a library in Florida is kind of causing them to ask the same questions here, you're going to find out much more accurately what the situation students are, are grappling with and parents are grappling with here. On that vein, let, let me ask you whether you're optimistic, because I know in Ontario, we saw uh, last fall there being this campaign that we haven't really seen in Canada in a while to run on school board elections yes. for people that were critical of this. And it wasn't really all that successful, but I think doing it itself was was quite good and mobilizing and getting more people engaged. Do you think even a year later that that would be different if that election were held this fall? Well, actually, I think I, I actually would change, uh, change my opinion. I think, in fact, last fall, there was quite a few success. It's it's really hard to break through a lot of these establishment school board candidates who've ran for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I know, PAFE, I think they ran over 100 candidates. And I can tell you right now that some of those trustees are the ones making the news headlines mm. who are committed to protecting children, protecting parents, and making sure that uh, things like gender identity theory isn't being forced down down parents' throat. And, and that's something actually I want to, to go back to that previous point. You said, why now? Like, why are parents really upset now? I think it's just, it's just too much. I think it's, I think the, the, the gender identity theory, which again, it's, it's not rooted in science, sexual neuroscientists, like, like Dr. Deborah So, who's a sexual scientist will tell mm -hmm. you there are only two genders. So when science is not backing it up and when this is still being rammed down the, the, the is, which is forced in the classroom, kids are learning this. I think parents are wondering what's going on and they're, they're very concerned. And I think there is just too much happening altogether. And I think you know, for the the radical activists who are pushing this, I think you've overplayed your hand this time. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I guess the one thing I would ask you about that I, I'm a little bit concerned on is the the teacher factor here, because we all heard that clip last week. I played it on this show. It's not a joke, man, sure, of this teacher in Edmonton just berating the Muslim students in the class for not getting on board with the whole uh, trans thing. And it was actually interesting and remarkably transparent because her argument was, well, they all deal, deal, they all put up with your Ramadan stuff, so you've got to put up with their pride stuff. Like she was basically making this claim that diversity crazy. needs to be a, a two-way street. But when we look at this in the context of what we're seeing in New Brunswick, the activist teacher is the one that I'm not sure will comply with the policy. And this, the province has itself said they're not going to be going on a witch hunt and seeing what classroom behaviors are kind of unfolding here. So are you concerned that there won't be enforcement to go along with this? Well, I think with any policy, parents expect that if this is the policy for the classroom, it should be followed. Mm -hmm. Nobody... Of course, nobody wants a chilling effect in the classroom. Like teachers should be free to, you know, speak. But if this is the policy, you have to work within that cadre. 
And uh, so I am concerned. I mean, what's the point of having a policy if there are no teeth to it? If there's no teeth to yeah, it? Yeah, it's like Doug Ford's academic freedom policy for universities. It's just like write it, the, file the, it, and ignore yeah, it. Yeah, right. What was that all about? But, yeah. um, you know, and parents expect governments to respect their wishes and to respect their 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 parental authority. So again, kudos to the, the conservative government of, of Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick for bringing this forward. Yes, I hope they do enforce it. This is And this is so small potatoes. Protecting mm -hmm. girls' sports, making sure they're unistallers for the gender-neutral bathrooms, and just getting parental consent on pronouns. If you can't enforce that, my goodness. So <laughs> for those teachers who really want to overplay it and, and don't want to respect uh, and comply with 713, you are violating parental trust and authority that we've placed into you. So I really would hope that you would not. And I think, to be quite frank, for the most part, teachers really don't want to go down this path anyways. Nobody wants these to have these kinds of discussions. It's really become um, a burden in the classroom. And I think uh, most teachers will just do the right thing and say, okay, we'll follow the policy. We're just, you know, we're doing our job. Yeah, and doing the right thing here, as you mentioned, not radical, it's respect parents. So I think that is a very important step moving forward. Hopefully other provinces will take this up as well. Tanya Granik-Allen, former president of Parents as First Educators and now host of the News Forum's Counterpoint. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thanks, Andrew. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. It is always great. We haven't talked to Tanya in far too long, so glad to have her back on the show. I, let me just say, first off, on the Unistall bathroom thing, I am totally for gender-neutral Unistall bathrooms. This, to me, seems like a very comforting thing to have in general for people. What I find interesting is how many of the trans activists don't want that. So here we have a proposal that's put forward, which is a little bit more expensive to put into action, but you know what respects anyone. It means that no woman has to share a bathroom with a man. No one has to go to a bathroom and wonder. It also means that no one has to be in uh, one stall and wonder you know, what that weird noise in the next stall over is. Everyone should be happy. Everyone wins. But the people that criticize this don't actually want to be accommodated. They want to be obeyed. And it's interesting if you see some of the rhetoric online. It's not that they want unistall bathrooms. It's that they want the right to use the other bathroom. And that is where it's the same as women's sports. They don't just want a third category. Most people would say, all right, we're fine with a third category for people who, for whatever reason, don't want to compete with their biological sex. They want into the other category. And anytime someone is unwilling to accept accommodations because they want something with no compromise tells you a lot about what they actually want and what their motivations are. And the erasure of women, the erasure of girls, the erasure of girls' sports is absolutely asinine. You look at what uh, J.K. Rowling has had to put up with a woman who checks every single left-wing box there is, except one. And she used to check that box because standing up for women used to actually be a very noble and worthy cause for people on the left. But oh no, J.K. Rowling doesn't go along with the idea that she, when she was staying in women's shelters, should have had to shack up with some big burly man in a dress. And she gets canceled. Her books get burned. They get ripped out of libraries. People start protesting her publisher. And thankfully, she has been unrepentant on this because it is absolutely 
crazy that we have just thrown away truth and thrown away compassion and thrown away human dignity and the dignity of women, all in the name of appeasing this mob. This mob who doesn't even represent a statistically significant group of people. Like for, for how much the trans issue dominates in political discourse, you'd think we were talking about 25% of the population. We're not. We're talking about 1%. We're talking about less than 1% in large way, in large cases, because we're talking about people that oftentimes are not content just to uh, go and get the sex change and be passable. Uh, we're talking about people that want to be in the gender neutral category. They're non-binary. They want to change on any given day. And then they also want to go into women's sports and they want to go into women's shelters and they want to go into women's bathrooms and women's change rooms and women's only events. And this is something that society should not have to deal with. When we are offering, in the case of the Unistall bathrooms, an accommodation that makes everyone happy, and they're saying no, they're saying that is, in Justin Trudeau's eyes, far right. What on earth is not far right, if that's far right? I mean, you're basically saying that anyone who believes that parents should have a say in how their children are educated is a radical right winger. Uh, let's try if we can play that clip one more time. I don't know uh, if that issue is resolved or not. But unfortunately, as you all know, we don't have to go as far as Uganda to see hateful rhetoric on the rise. We're seeing that angry, hateful rhetoric rise on our continent, particularly targeting trans people. Trans people are among the most vulnerable people in the 2SLGBTQI community, facing high rates of violence and suicide. And far-right political actors are trying to outdo themselves with the types of cruelty and isolation they can inflict on these already vulnerable people. Right now, trans kids in New Brunswick are being told they don't have the right to be their true selves, that they need to ask permission. Well, trans kids need to feel safe, not targeted by politicians. It's not all that shocking how he refers to Uganda and New Brunswick in the same breath as he's talking about hate. Uganda, where it is illegal to be gay, and New Brunswick, where the school is completely fine to have you represent yourself by a different gender, by a different pronoun, by a different name, so long as your parent is notified and consents if you are under 16. Uh, by the way, under 16 includes five-year-olds. It includes four-year-olds. It includes kindergarten students, grade one students. The, the response that you get to this from people that uh, oppose this uh, policy change in New Brunswick is not, well, I understand that it's important to have this. I think 16 is an issue. I think maybe you should be able to self-identify at 14 or at 12. They, they don't say that. They, they actually object fundamentally to the idea that a parent should have any say whatsoever or even any knowledge. If a five-year-old goes to class and says, I am a girl, and I want you to call me Susie, and I want you to let me wear this dress that I shoved in my backpack that I found outside the school. I don't know why there's a... Forget that part. I'm saying the five-year-old who goes in and demands, I want to be called Susie, and I'm a girl. That These activists think that the parent should not be notified about that, and also that the teacher should comply with that, and the school would comply with that. So their issue is not, well, maybe the age is the problem. Their issue is with what is happening at all. They don't believe that parents have a role 
in children's education. Uh, and by the way, I mean, this idea that children are adults is a bit of a weird one, given how schools treat children in every other way. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to go on a field trip, you've got to get parental consent. If you act out in class, if you get into a fight, parents are going to be notified. If you are to uh, make a comment about wanting to harm yourself, you are going to get a call back home. Uh, one person here has told me that their parents got called because they drew a skull in class and the school thought they might be suicidal. Imagine if all of these activists said, well, that was a violation of his privacy rights. The schools never should have notified. And the joke would have been on them if he got home and ha heaven forbid something had happened. So all of this is the reason why parents should absolutely be active participants in their children's education. I think gone are the times that you can be trusting that once you just drop your kids off at the school door, they're going to come back uh, learning English and, uh, you know, math and history and geography, because right now, uh, well, history has gone and they've replaced it with gender studies, apparently. So and I think math is gone, too, because math is like colonial and uh, white supremacist or so I read in The Guardian. But the whole point of this is that we have a situation now in which, for whatever reason, New Brunswick has decided it wants to take, as Tanya said, even a very low stand for parental rights. And even something so relatively minor and benign is being cast as far right by Justin Trudeau and the activist mob, uh, which is probably... a. <laughs> <laughs> those are probably not two distinct groups, but nevertheless, I just want to briefly point out here on the institutional power we have in Canada. Russell Brown, who is a Supreme Court justice appointed by Stephen Harper, and by all accounts and uh, by his record, quite a good justice. He was one of the few that actually pushed back against the confinement and constrainment of liberty we've seen, especially on the Beverly McLaughlin Supreme Court. He retired over the weekend. And I don't want to rehash the whole backstory on this. There was this like ridiculous uh, investigation into him because he was down in Arizona and he'd had a few drinks. And I don't know, apparently he was just uh, you know a little friendly with someone at the bar. And it ended up where this 30-year-old Marine got into a fight with him. And it was like a thing that even if it happened, which I was very skeptical of the narrative that was told, it was not something that was warranting an investigation, let alone a retirement. But nevertheless, Justice Brown has retired. And, and the first thing I thought of when this headline came up is, Justin Trudeau is getting another Supreme Court justice. This means that by the time the position is filled, Justin Trudeau will have stacked six of the nine justices on the Supreme Court of Canada. Six of nine. Now, when you are in power for as long as Trudeau has been there, pushing eight years now, this is not altogether uncommon. Stephen Harper, I believe, had appointed seven justices in about 10 years. So uh, the challenge, though, is that Stephen Harper's justices more often than not ended up voting against him and ended up deciding against the conservative government, whereas Justin Trudeau's justices have been a continuation of uh, really reinforcing the power of the state. So he's going to get another one. And if you look at when retirement's coming up, because Supreme Court justices have to retire at 75, if there is a conservative government, say, from 2025 to 2029, uh, I believe there's only going to be one judge retiring in that four-year period, and that's going to be a conservative-appointed judge. So the best the conservatives could do if they win in 2025, uh, or ooh, if the PPC wins a sweeping majority government in 2025, you know, because that's going to happen, uh, then they'll only be able to hold one judicial position. That's it. 
So we are going to, in this country, for at least the next 10 years, have a Trudeau-dominated Supreme Court of Canada. And I don't say that because I have a solution to that problem. I just say it as a bit of a warning and to buckle up because it is going to be a rough ride. But all the more important to speak truth to power and all the more important to have a population that is on side on the cause of liberty. I've often said that the only reason the Supreme Court gets called in is because uh, we have people that keep voting for governments that are depriving them and I'll say us because I'm in the trenches on this one too of our liberty so that's why we do what we do and we are going to keep on doing it my thanks to all of you who play a part in supporting that if you want to keep independent media going you can head on over to donate.tnc.news donate.tnc.news and uh, we accept uh, truly and are grateful for all contributions to the work that we do uh, and, and like I always say I don't care if you agree with me or disagree with me in fact life's more fun when we all disagree with each other on uh, several occasions but when you are getting into the thick of talking about politics, you can't be everything to everyone. And anyone who expects that of someone is really begging to be pandered to, which doesn't suit anyone's interest. So uh, with that PSA out of the way, we will talk to you all tomorrow. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless. And good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.